navy blue Victoria. As he uses his feet and goes again through mid-wicket. That's an even better shot from the Victorian captain. Swept away very nicely by Nicole Bottom for four. Oh, he's re-given! That is 50. The man from Northcote. And welcome to another edition of the Vic State Cricket Podcast. I'm Adam White as we get ready for the game against Queensland. Two games against Queensland, a Sheffield Shield game and also a Marsh Cup game. Uh, Matt Short's with me again. Matt, uh, good morning or good afternoon. Thanks, mate. Whatever good it is be. the time. Whatever it is the time. Um, we talked last week when we had Bobby Quine in about the, the draw in Tassie. It's three in a row. Um, at what point in the season do you start thinking about results and not just about playing cricket, if that makes sense? Um, yeah, it's a good question. Obviously, every game you you look to the, to win, um, and we we reckon we've been in a, a couple of positions there in the first few games um, you know, where we just missed a couple of moments where we probably could have taken the points. But um, yeah, as far as three down and, and seven to go, so um, yeah, definitely looking to to finish off. I suppose the next couple of games before Christmas, um, you know, with with some points and and really lead lead into to next year. Um, you know, hopefully with a couple of wins under our belts. I'll probably rephrase the question a little bit. It, all teams seem to be a little bit more conservative earlier in the season to sort of get themselves into the season rather than, you know, declaring earlier, declaring behind, being a bit more sort of prepared to risk losing it to win it. it, it early in the season it seems that everyone's just finding their feet. Yeah, I think so. Um, especially, yeah, maybe come towards the end of the year, um, you know, wickets might start to change and, and become – you know, we, we actually need a result. So, um, you know, curators might make it drier or pump a bit more water and leave a bit more grass on. So, um, yeah, definitely um, what we found early this year in the last few games is wickets have been fairly flat and, you know, mm. tough to take the, the 20 wickets to, to win. So, um, yeah, a bit strange. But, yeah, hopefully, you know, after Christmas or come after Christmas we can, um, yeah, definitely get a, a few a few wins on the board and, and maybe the conditions might change. You've had a, a great challenge yourself personally over the last couple of weeks. Western Australia, the, the speed of Morris and of Richardson, um, Meredith much the same, but the guile of, of Siddle and Bird. And then all of a sudden now this week you've got Nisa, you've got Stecky, who's in amazing form, uh, the spin of Swepson. Uh, it doesn't get any easier for you. <laughs> Some um, tough bowls you, you just mentioned. Um, you know, even last week against Sids and Bird, you, you, you get through them and you're like, oh, thank God. But then, yeah, you got... Riley Meredith, um, you know, coming in at 145 kilometres, so it doesn't get any easier. But, um, yeah, Steckity and Nessa are definitely up there um, with probably the, the toughest um, I've faced, especially up in Queensland where it might do a bit. So, um, yeah, definitely going to be a challenge. And then, yeah, as I said, if you get through them, you, you might sigh a bit of a relief. But, um, yeah, obviously Swepson and, and other guys there who – you know, are going to be another challenge as well. Yeah, they've got so many big, tall, fast bowlers and they could choose three or four of them. They're all they're all pretty uh, impressive. Dirk Nannis is our special guest on the podcast this way. I can't wait to chat to Dirk. He's got so many great stories to tell. But as a fast bowler, he got the ball to swing. Just share for our audience the, the difference between, say, a seam bowler and a swing bowler. Nisa definitely goes into that swing category. There's not a lot of them around the country. A lot of them are more sort of into the wicket bowler. What do you need to do differently and what are the cues you're looking for as a batsman against someone of Nisa's quality? Yeah, it's, um, it's a good question. Um, I think for me personally it's about using my height. Um, I think getting out and I think playing the ball late as well so I can sort of stand on top of the ball a bit more than maybe a shorter, you know, Sammy Harper or something like that. Yep. Um, no offence, Sammy, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, definitely up in Brisbane, it's a challenge with the ball moving around in the air. Um, Steckett is much, much the same. Um, I think looking at their game in Perth last week, um, they got a lot of lot of the ball sort of full and getting the, the players sort of on the front foot. So that's probably something we'll have to, to look out for. Um, there's a lot of bolds and, and LBs up there. So, um, yeah, I think for me personally, it's, yeah, using the height. Um, nice is probably more of that skiddy, bit shorter bowler that – you know, it's always challenging your, your off stump. So um, I think because they're such quality bowlers, you, you get the sense of you kind of know where they're going to bowl at most of the time. So that, that kind of helps. Um, but, yeah, definitely going to be a challenge up there. And we talked last week about Ash Chandra Singer and what an amazing performance uh, he was able to do on debut. But it, it kind of over, overshadowed another 95 from Peter Hanscom. Um we spoke to Pete at the very start of the season. You were part of the program where we were talking about, you know, his test aspirations and how well he played last year. He's already 
you know, tracking better than he, he did last year. Why is he playing so well? Yeah, I think, well, the headline that came out of that was that he could still face um, pace bowling here in yeah. Australia. So, yeah, he's definitely um, living up to his word. But, um, you know, a few of us boys have been saying, you know, it's probably the best we've ever seen him play. Um, he just looks like he's got so much time. Um, he knows his game back to front. Um, you know, he's always been good off his pads, good with a short and wide one, and that's pretty much, you know, how he's scoring most of his runs. So, um, and just like the patience and, and skill to be able to, um, you know, wait for those balls and, and to be able to bat time. Um, yeah, it's been unbelievable to watch firsthand. And, um, yeah, he's in, in some, some rare form. Yeah, it's not over that. Before we go, and said uh, Dirk Ness to join us shortly, this whole juggle between back to having red ball cricket and white ball cricket rather than the white ball tournament at the start of the summer um, going from red to white, it's what the cricketers wanted, generally speaking. Um, but it is also a juggle to, to, to change. You go from being a middle-order player for Victoria in the Sheffield Shield to now opening the batting in the white ball cricket. How how hard is that to prepare differently or is it is it good to be able to change it up? Um, another good question. I think... It's definitely a challenge, yeah, going between the two. Um, not so much physically, but it's more the mindset. Um, I think red balls, yeah, it's definitely about batting the time and um, maybe putting away some of the shots that, you know, in the white, in the white ball you might you might play regularly. So um, I know in the white ball cricket when, when I am opening, you know, there's two fielders out, you know, a bit more freedom there and um, I can sort of express myself and play a bit more naturally Um as, a, as, as an aggressive opening batsman. Um, and then, again, depending on the situation in the red ball cricket, you might, um, you know, I said with, with Bobby, um, you might come in, you know, at three for, for, three for 40 or you might be three for, for 200. Mm-hmm. So um, I think throughout probably my whole career of batting through the middle, it's about trying to adapt to, to different scenarios and what stage of the game it is. So, um, you know, you, you see Ash and, and Pete last week, um, you know, bat out and grind out in that day one, um, did an un- unbelievable job. Um, but then sort of makes it easy for the guys coming through the middle and um, sort of playing that sort of finishing role um, yep. in a sense. Um, so, yeah, it's credit to them to, to stick at it and makes it a bit easier for us guys in the middle. Well, hopefully this week when you get to the white ball game, it's not 50 or 60, it, it's 120 or 130 because I think you deserve it. You're playing so well in that form at the moment. It's just, I guess it's getting reward for effort, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, being um, your coach here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's something I've um, not given me demons over the last few years, but, um, yeah, definitely get that that first hundred. Um, something I've been been thinking about it for a while now and um, not just sort of coming off the ground, um, you know, satisfied with a, with a 50 or whatever it is, but um, – or contributing a little bit more once you get that opportunity and, and getting your 50, it's, yeah, it's going on um, to make a big hundred. So, um, yeah, definitely something I'm working on. And, um, yeah, hopefully in the next couple of weeks it'll be something I can, you know, walk off the field with, with 100. All right. Well, fingers crossed. Good luck this week. Thanks, mate. So the Shield game first day on Field, then the one day against Queensland. Now, next, this is going to be very special, I can promise you, uh, because Dirk Nannis never, left, never ever uh, lets, it down, lets us down with stories to tell. He's going to do that next. Uh, stick with us on the Big State Cricket Podcast. Welcome back. Our special guest this week is Dirk Nannis. Dirk, welcome to the Vic State Cricket Podcast. It's good to be here. I'm a little bit nervous. I'm nervous as well because you've got so <laughs> many good stories to tell and I want to try and get them all out of you in whatever time we've got. So it's going to be difficult. Um, I'm lucky enough to spend a fair bit of time with you over the journey. Um, tell us, and I know sometimes you get frustrated with this question, I'm going to ask it anyway. Are you a better skier or a better cricketer? I'm a more passionate skier. Um, I reckon I'm a better cricketer, mm-hmm. but I'm I I like skiing more. Cricket hurts. <laughs> I just recently went on a um, masters tour. I haven't played in seven years. Went on a masters tour. Actually, that's a lie. I played a third eleven game for South Yarra last year. <laughs> but apart from that, I haven't played for seven years, and it just it just hurts. Um, but I found out that I missed the competitive stuff and you don't get that. And skiing, you never really got it. Yeah. So, um, but this year I skied, what, 35 days at Mount Buller and I'll ski another 45 overseas. So I've got the love back. I'm actually yeah. getting better at skiing. Right. Yeah. So because so, often 
we when we think of Dirk Nass, we think of cricket, skiing, and playing for two countries mm-hmm. in Holland and or Netherlands and, and Australia. Does that does that not so much annoy you, but the, the, always the link back to skiing? Oh, the skier that became a cricketer, or is that just part of your story? That's part of my story. It doesn't worry me at all. I I probably identify and still do probably identify myself more as a skier than I do as a cricketer. Um, cricket was something that growing up I never wanted to necessarily be. I played backyard cricket with my brother and I at 23 or 24 realised that I bowled pretty quick. But it wasn't something like a lot of particularly a lot of people in the state system who recognise really early that they're pretty good, they play representative teams, they go up in all the squads and all the under-17s, 19s, all that sort of stuff, and they play in a group together. I never had that because I I was never that good as a kid. I was a scrawny kid until I was sort of 21. Um, and I only started bowling fast when I was strong from all the weights and stuff I did for skiing. And... I didn't do a full cricket season, I don't think, until 27, I reckon, or 26. Um, but that whole time I was skiing. And so I don't identify myself, certainly not in my childhood. You kind of latch back to your childhood as what your dream was as a child and I wanted to be a skier. Um, and then cricket came along. It was great. I was good at it and I was good for a period and it was an awesome job, don't get me wrong. And I would love cricket. But it's not something that I necessarily identify as. Um, certainly not in the house and stuff. I don't no, don't identify as a, a cricketer. I don't. I think I'm more a skier than than a cricketer. But everyone knows me as a cricketer and and playing for Holland. I played for Holland for three days in total. Um, you know, I was in in the squad for two weeks. We played a game at Lords. Two days later, we got crunched by Pakistan. And my next game at T20 cricket was for Australia. Yeah, but. If I travel to India, everyone knows me as a Dutch cricketer. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's pretty weird. And <laughs> I recognise when I stand back that my story's very unusual. But for me, it's, I mean, it's the only story I know. So it's pretty normal for me. So did cricket get in the way of you, say, becoming an Olympian? Or no. Because no. you, you're a World Cup level skier. Yeah. But so this was at... 1998 Olympics, where was that? Nagano. After that, I think they took three people to those Olympics. I think in, in Australia I was ranked fourth at the time and a few of those guys were retiring. So if I hung around for probably another Olympiad until 2002, you know, if, if, if you keep developing and you keep getting stronger and better, you know, maybe I would have gone there. But I remember a day sitting on a chairlift at Mount Buller, it was absolutely pissing rain and we were doing snowplow drills, just, you know, technical drills and it was bucketing rain and my mates were down at the Karura um, watching the footy on the cans having a great day and there I was doing snowplow drills and I thought, I can't do four more years of this. And at that stage also I'm at uni working in pubs for the year because it's not professional. I'm working in pubs for the year to pay for my ski trip overseas to compete so I'm continuing this perpetual you know, round of being poor the whole time. Life's got to move on. You know, uni was going to finish and what am I going to do? So I started up a tour company and that's so that kind of prolonged me skiing, I guess, rather than playing cricket. Um, I, I probably think the other way around. I, I reckon skiing got in the way of me playing more cricket. I, I think if I was into the first-class system earlier, I reckon I was good enough to play higher cricket. Um, but when I was good, I was 33 or 34. You're not picking a 33 or 34-year-old mm. into long-form cricket. And, you know, who knows, the time again, if I played cricket a bit more, I might have a bigger house. But I, I can't <laughs> change what yeah, happened and I wouldn't go back and change what I did because I love it and yeah. I loved the... Oh, the, the camaraderie of skiing where you have a day where there are – it's almost like skating culture in a, in a sense where you are almost cheering on your opposition who are learning and pushing the sport. You're just stoked for these guys yeah. who are learning and pushing things and, and that would never happen in a million years in a, in a cricket environment. No way would that happen because it's just so cutthroat and yeah. – um, you know, it's, it's me versus him and he's got my place and all that sort of stuff. But in an individual sport, 
you know, it's me. If I want to work hard and, and get better, I can. If I if these guys are better than me, well, what can I do about it? I can either work hard or enjoy the journey, work hard at the same time, but enjoy the journey with them as well. And that's that's what I really enjoyed. Yeah. So did you have mates or was it family that said, Dirk, you, you got to have a go at cricket. You bowl fast. Like, you, you know, with their pressure to come down and play in the seconds or just fill in because, you know, you scare us when you play with a tennis ball in the backyard or whatever. How did it come to pass that you actually started to play cricket? Not not even at Premier level at this stage, mm. but to get back to playing on a Saturday. Uh, I played while I was skiing. I would still play a couple of games at the start of the year, sort of October, November, then travel with skiing. Then I'd come back mid to late Feb and play out the rest of the season. So I was playing at Vermont and we won a flag one year and one of the guys in that team said, I'm going to go down to a district club. You should come with me. So I went down to Hawthorne Waverley. So this is about 25, around about that age, mid-20s? Maybe. You could look at the records. 26 maybe, something like that. Uh, And it might be 25. Um, And I went to training. I remember I was hitting the side net. So I couldn't bowl straight. Was it Springvale? And um, yeah, we went down there. And then the, the mate came down, and th- the first session didn't come back. So it was just me. Um, and I made some great friends there, fantastic friends. And ev- eventually, after a few years of sort of playing second eleven, it was Peter Roach that, um, who said, "You know what? I reckon if you hang around for a year, you'll play for Victoria." So actually, the next year I gave it a go, um, and that's when I played my first representative game. So never. You know, n- not even Hatch or whatever all those. I don't Down, know. Yeah, I don't even yeah. know what all yeah. those are. Um, but my first one of those was a state second 11 game on the MCG when Glenn McGrath came back from his rolling his foot in the ashes mm-hmm. in his comeback game. Um, that was my first ever representative game. And then I think a month or two later I played for Victoria. Then we played – my second game was that 900 game and – We'll get to that. Oh, okay. we'll get to that because yeah, yeah. that's worth talking about. <laughs> so I'm just interested in, you know, Peter Roach sees something. There mm. must have been someone else that saw something. I know you bowled incredibly fast, but to say, hey, this there's some raw talent here that we really want you to stick at this because this could amount to something. Because you've got, you got to have someone to almost believe in you. I guess that was all I really needed. I, I just need – I'm someone who just needs a little bit of validation. So I don't generally like putting in work unless I know there's going to be a result um, or feel like I'm my effort is warranted or, or needed or anything like that. You know, if, if someone says, Dirk, we really need you to do this mm. and it'll help, then yes, I'll do it. But that was almost the validation I need. If you hung around a season, you'll play. You know, that was sort of the thing that made me go, oh, okay, I might actually be okay at this. Was it a job? And it helps. It helps yeah. because... I'm quick with the wrong arm. There's not that many people who do that. Yeah. Um, you know, it was only years and years and years later that we – it was funny. We were sitting around having a few beers with um, Hodge and a few others and uh, we were trying to work out one year. It was when all the IPL and stuff was going on. We were trying to work out. I wonder how much the, the baseballers work out. I think we worked out that if you were one of the top few – we worked it out with population, you know, and ratios and all this sort of stuff – if I did what I do left-handed in Major League Baseball, I'd be on 11 million or 15 million US a year. Let's go, oh, we're in the wrong sport. <laughs> so the, were you always quick? So like even say the Nets at district cricket, you know, I even went to Fitzroy as well. Vermont, were you always terrifying people no. or did the pace come later as you started to get the, the more high-performance training and the, and the guidance rather than be just a raw talent? It was only very late that I... Uh, almost after I retired, I reckon, that I remember back in my childhood what I used to do. So if I would play on a weekend, I was your sweatband swinger, first change, bowling into the wind, you know, just trying to drop it on the length and, and bowling sweatband swingers. Um, but it wasn't until much later that I realised when I was a kid at school, um, we would play tennis ball, cricket, lunch or tape up the ball, and if someone batted for too long... Um, you know, if they were batting for three overs and didn't quite understand the concept that, you know, every now and then you've got to hit them up to get everyone else a bat, they would throw me the ball and I'd come off a long run and bowl lightning quick and take the wicket and then hand the ball to the next bowler and away we'd go. But I, I didn't actually remember it until I was much later in life that 
that I did actually bowl quick with a tennis ball. I just never did it with a cricket ball, not till I was, you know, mid-20s and even still I was just kind of ambling in. It, was, it wasn't until I was just solely T20 right. that every ball I tried to bowl was as fast as I possibly could. Yeah, okay. So 29 playing for Victoria for the first time, that, that 900 game you referenced was your second game. <laughs> mm-hmm. But to play for Victoria for the first time, what, what was that like? For someone that hadn't gone through the system, who didn't necessarily play with all those guys that you played with through the, the age groups, what was that like? Uh, I remember my feelings were I remember being an, a complete outsider, almost an imposter, and for the first I would have thought almost two years of me playing cricket. I, I treated every game like it was my last. Not like, you know, the, the sort of the cliche, treat every game like your last. No, I actually thought that was my last. So my family came around a lot because they thought, oh, well, that's the last time you're going to play at Adelaide or that's the last time you're going to play in a Shield final. And they would come heaps of places with me because we always thought, oh, this is just a, you know, it's a nice little side yeah. gig but it's going to end. Yeah. Um, so I did feel like an imposter. And it was strange because I was so different to everybody else um, in my mindset towards cricket in the way that like, cricket wasn't my everything. I was running two businesses on the side so I would turn up to training at, if, if it was 9.30, our 9.30 trainings, I think we had to be there 20 minutes before because that was the new 9.30 or something like that. I can't remember what the times were. But I would roll in, I would time it to the minute. And sometimes the Eastern Freeway was crap. So I would arrive at you know, 9 12 for a 9 10 start. And they'd say, No, you have to be here early. I said, no, I can't, I cannot give you any more time. I'm running two jobs, got two kids at this stage, got two kids. I'm not giving you another 20 minutes every single day of the week. That's another two hours of my week gone. I'm not doing it. So that. That might have ruffled, that a, few that that well. might have ruffled <laughs> a few feathers. So I was like, right, Dirk, we need to give you an official reprimand. You know? it, was, it was Cam White and Shippy, they pulled me aside one day. I said, look, I'm not going to do it. If that means that there's three times in a year that I'm two minutes late and you want to leave me out of a game, go for it. But I'm not giving you two hours more a week. I don't have that time. <laughs> so you look back now, you think, geez, what a knob. But no, I just didn't have the time. I just, yeah, was busy. <laughs> Had stuff to do. So, yeah. I mean, obviously you're one of the fastest bowlers in Sheffield Shield cricket. Um, you are part of an incredible pace battery that Victoria had at the time. What was that like when you could either scare your own teammates at training as a group or out on, on the field? So I played for 18 different teams. My Victorian experience, that that team was the best team I played in, hands down, by a mile, not even just. Um, it was... Just we had this. There was something special about it. You know, we were almost famously we would bicker. There was you know factions. It was, and I'm happily sitting on the side. All this crap goes on around me. I was blissfully unaware. Um, but there's so much going on at that stage off the field. But we would walk on the field and dominate. And it wasn't just we. We just knew no matter what position we were in, we were going to win the game. It didn't matter what was happening. Who was hungover? Who was late? Who was what? It didn't matter. We were just winning every single game of cricket. I can't remember which year it was. It must have been 08, 09 maybe, something like that, where we didn't lose a point. Um, like that is – that's unheard of. I think it was we were 44 points and didn't drop one. Like that was just remarkable. And we smashed teams. Um, that was special. That was really good. And I didn't – I was, maybe I was naive, but I didn't know it at the time that I was in the best side that I ever would play in, you know. Then you go on and play for Australia, that's sort of, you know, factions and stuff like that. But you, you wouldn't dominate like that. And I reckon there were times, particularly in T20 cricket or shorter form cricket, where Victoria would have beaten the Australian team. We were just that well drilled and everyone knew their role mm-hmm. so well and we knew the game so well that we would we'd beat them, Absolutely. Yeah. They were awesome. <laughs> it was pretty cool. <laughs> but you go to all the other teams, you know, the IPL teams and stuff like that, tactically never as good. We were extremely well led. Um, and I, I think the the difference with a state side like that is you get in this groove where you're there for 12 months with the same group of people and that doesn't happen everywhere else. So you can have the best cattle in the room 
but that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to play the best because you're not mm. a, a team, I guess. So you, you had a different perspective because cricket wasn't your everything when it is for so many people and you don't start your first-class career until 29. Does that does that help, do you think? Absolutely. Just have a broader view of the world, say whether it's resilience or whether it's understanding that, you know, not everything's rosy, that, that, that helped you? Mm. I think a lot of people get carried away. After all, like I'd just throw up a quicker ball, cricket ball a bit faster than the next person. You know, it's not – I'm not saving the world. I'm just bowling a cricket ball pretty fast. Um, I think people get carried away and, and lost in that, you know, that that idea that cricket is everything. And it's not – yeah, it's a, it's a great thing for a part of your life. But you're not defined by that. You know what? I'm, I'm seven years after I retired, and I <laughs> cricket feels like it a whole lifetime ago. It's got nothing to do with my life apart from sitting here and a bit of commentary here and there. It's got nothing in my life, you know, work-wise, all that sort of stuff, family-wise. So I, I always prided myself on being able to go home at the end of a day and not have my family know whether I won, lost perform well myself or was crap. Mm. They never had any clue because my body language, the way I acted, never changed. I was kind of proud of that. Well, it was something that I kind of thought about at one stage after after Aaron said it one time. I kind of thought that's actually, that's actually pretty good. And I kind of see a similarity, not I've ever spoken to him about it, but like Matthew Wade after he went and got an apprenticeship and then came back to cricket and suddenly started whacking them everywhere. That's kind of what I think... I was like where you come back and you just frankly don't care anymore. Mm. You know, there's this all care, no responsibility. Yeah. You know, that's, um, I don't know, I, I just always thought there's more to cricket and, and I was unique in that everyone else was worried about it all the time and I didn't and that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us about that 900 day because it was only <laughs> your second game. Queensland put on 900 in a Shield final and you actually were the best performed bowler, at least statistically. Did Only in the last there? 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but did you sit there going, what am I doing this for? No. I was. I just loved being there. You know, funnily enough, I was. I had no idea about cricket. I learnt cricket on the job. Um, so, you know, it, it's my second game of first-class career. I've never watched, a, apart from watching test cricket on the, on the couch, I'd never watched a first-class game of cricket. So I didn't know how... From 900, teams can't win, you know. But I sort of had in my mind, oh, maybe what, what if we get, what if we get 700 in reply? And you know, I just enjoyed being there. We didn't take the fourth new ball that day, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a good experience. Um, and even while we were doing it, I, I, I don't know. I think other people were hating it, but I didn't hate it. So you got that experience, and then you got the experience where you had the figures, and you know where I'm going with this one. Zero every point. year, every <laughs> single year, the same thing. Zero comes point up. one overs, <laughs> one for two, <laughs> and no one can work out how it happened. So I'm not going to say anymore. I'm going to let you tell the story in your own words as to how you can have those figures. So this was day one of a shield game at the Wacker, and everyone was saying, oh, "I haven't seen a pitch like this for ages. This is like a Wacker pitch of old," which we talk about every time we. Bloody test match there, but this was actually had that sheen on it, that nice shine. And uh, Matthew Wade goes out, he's standing on the circle, so he's miles back. And um, first ball, I kind of amble in. I was a bit stiff before that day, and amble in first ball, knee high, full toss. Sean Marsh whacks it to uh, to Gully, absolute hanger of a catch by by Damien Wright at um, at Gully. Where are woohoo? Yeah, great. One for none. Uh, next ball, Luke Palmer's backs in. And another full toss straight past the chest. Now, looking back at the footage now, I, I, at the time I thought it was pretty lethal what I bowled. You look back at the footage, it was kind of out here. It wasn't it wasn't that dangerous a ball. Anyway, no ball. Cam White comes out of slip says, do you realise what happens now? So you can't bowl another full toss. If you bowl another full toss, you're out of the attack. Yep, understand. Okay, Dirk, you're going to bowl a uh, you're going to bowl a bouncer. No worries, Cam. I'll bowl a bouncer. So go back to the end of my mark. I'm still thinking not much of it. Next ball come in and it's straight past like he's 
on his ass straight past the, the head. No ball out of the attack. But I was aiming the, – the thing with it was is I was aiming for a bouncer and it half volleyed Matt Wade on the circle. So I've missed by 40 metres. <laughs> I've missed my target by 40 metres. So umpire gives me the cap. Yep, sorry, Cam, don't know what happened there. I went to mid-off. The boys were into me because I I ended up going off the field at some stage for a massage as well. <laughs> and how hot was it? Oh, bloody hot. I don't know. But we ended up winning the game. That was another one where we just we just won the game. Damien Wright took five. Rogers got 200s. And um, we won on day four. Good game of cricket in the end, but bloody hell, that was weird. And every every year I get messages about it when the, when the Vicks go to Perth, every year. Without question. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So that might be one of the reasons why you thought you'd just be a specialist white ball player. <laughs> because you became that pretty quickly, didn't you? I mean, it, I'm interested in how it evolved into Dirk Nannis because you were spoken about as potentially playing for Australia in test cricket. Such were such was your dominance there at one point in shield cricket. But then all of a sudden it became this ability to bowl, as you said, really fast for four overs and it worked. I think I got pigeonholed as a as a one day bowler. It wasn't something that I sought to do at all. No way. Uh, I loved four day cricket. I really that was what I I still think that's the best game. Uh, but I kind of got pigeonholed into it. Uh, I, I had a few seasons where I played really well in T Twenty cricket in Australia. In the what was. Was it the Big Bash then? But the Big Bash before the Big Bash, whatever they called it. And I played really well. Then I got picked up for um, for Delhi. And I think after that they just kind of, you know, then you, then you get a gig over here and then I'm playing in Champions League and then I'm sort of doing this and that, the whole time I'm still playing for Victoria. But then I started getting injured with like tendon injuries and, and things like that that would lead me out for chunks of the season but I couldn't bowl sort of a 20-over day and then back it up with a 20-over day the next day. But what I could do was bowl four overs still. And for some reason, you know, the, all the boys give me crap because I always was right for T20 season. <laughs> I'm probably right. There's probably a bit of truth in that. But I was always right for T20s. And so, I, you know, once you sort of get injured, I remember the time that I decided to retire was after a, a shield game, my last shield game was at Adelaide Oval. I did a hammy tendon and, and I just thought, you know what, every time I come back for four-day cricket, I might play two games in a row, then I'm out with something else. Why would I keep doing this when I can play short-form cricket, play around the world, get paid two or three times as much, sometimes more, and um, spend more time with the family? It ends up being kind of a no-brainer. It was perfect for you, wasn't it, really, with your lifestyle? Yeah. You, not so much your attitude towards cricket, but how you saw cricket. It all sign of the planets aligned that this was this was mm. perfect for mm. you. Yeah, and the boys always gave me crap for turning up. I was the first player to turn up to cricket in a business suit. <laughs> you know, it, it was a job that I kind of, not clock on, clock off, but there was always a sort of a... Uh, I guess from where I came from before, there's there's a you know there's a financial outcome. It is a job. I had lots of other things going on. This was one of many different jobs. It's taking X amount of time out of my life. It has to deliver, otherwise I'll go and do something else. You know, it so was part of your life, not your life. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, you know, of, of course, you sit there at, at that stage and kind of think, what's what's best for me and the family. Of course. Um, and that was, I guess, part of the friction of when I stopped playing for Victoria. You know, there was, there was, it was strange. You say, talk to us about that because you were there at almost the start of the explosion mm. of T20 cricket and what the IPL became and all those sorts of things. And you had choices to make. Mm. And, you know, Victoria still wanted you to be playing for them, but instead you had choices to yeah. make. And there was, extraordinary amounts of money on offer for you. So I'd love to know more about that whole period because it was when cricket was at an interesting phase, to mm. say the least. Yeah, so it was uh, at the time it was Chris Gale, Sean Tate and myself. We were the three. 
and we were basically the first three that went T20 tour around the world all the time. So I had a uh, had a good chat with Graffy one day. I was actually nervous about talking to Victoria about what I was going to do. It was middle of T20s. He said, are you going to play four-day cricket again? And I said, oh, don't know, probably not. And he said, okay, let's agree to end it and then you go and do what you're, you do your thing and, um, yeah, no harm done. So that I kept on playing one day and, and we end up winning the one-day final the, the year after. But that's when I stopped playing T20. So I ended up um, going overseas, playing for uh, Delhi that year. And the reason I went overseas and played for Delhi was because it conflicted with the end of the Shield season. Um, so that's why it came to a head because mm-hmm. IPL started before. Yep. And at that time I was on – I'll talk the numbers. I was on 250000 US with IPL and I'd have to miss three weeks, which means you're missing half your money. So it would have cost me, you know, 200 grand Australian to miss that that period of time to play a Shield game. So what a, it's a no-brainer, you know. For someone at that, that stage, what, I'm 35, that stage, that's absolutely a no-brainer. Um, and then came... The Champions Leagues, so you have the Champions League and, of course, Victoria was great at the time, but I had qualified for my IPL team. So you, know, you get paid the exact same. Who are you going to play for? You know, do, you, do you bite the hand that feeds you overseas in the IPL or do you come and play for Victoria? So you kind of make the choice and if if I choose to go and play for my IPL team, Delhi, in this Champions League, Cricket Victoria get compensated for that as well. Um, so, you know, you, you kind of, whilst they say it's your choice, it's kind of not your choice. You kind of know if, you, if yeah. they're holding all the aces. Um, so I choose to go with them. And so when I chose to do that, this is this is the start of a, I can't remember the year, but this is the, um, just coming into a winter and Craig Victoria are about to go on their, their pre-season camp. Now, because I chose to go and play for Delhi and I was going to compete against Victoria in the, the Champions League, Victoria didn't take me on the pre-season camp. So it's a pre-season camp up to Darwin or whatever it was. They didn't take me. So I'm their opening bowler in – At this, I was still playing shield cricket. I was still playing. It was before all this. So I'm still playing Shield Cricket. They didn't take me on the pre-season camp for two weeks because I was playing for the opposition, you know, um, in a T20 tournament in a month's time or something like that. And, and you know, that, that was just bizarre. And then fast forward one more year, the exact same sh- situation occurs. Um, Cameron White was in the same boat. I was in the same boat. Um, and, you know, it, it, the world had completely changed by then. Mm. Cameron White goes on the um, – I, I, yeah, I hold nothing against him for doing it, but he goes on the, the pre-season camp and it was like, oh, Cameron White, he's going and playing. He's just magnanimous. Look at him, you know, looking after Victorian and developing Victorian players even though he's going away and going to play for the opposition. And it was just a sign to me that, God, the world changes so quickly. Um, yeah, it was, it was a really bizarre time because – the year before, it was you're turning your back on on your state and all your upbringing, you've forgotten where you've come from, and all this sort of stuff. And the next year, it's it's completely changed. And every year since then, it's just developing more and more and more and more. But it was, you know, it was hard the first few years. It was hard when I went to Sydney Thunder, so I wasn't playing first class cricket mm-hmm. at all. I was playing for Sydney Thunder in Sydney. Yeah, um, I got chopped the. From the Renegades after the first year, um, and I couldn't bowl in the nets here, so no one would. They wouldn't allow anyone to go and bowl in the nets in Victoria because we were playing for the opposition. Um, so it was. I had to go and train down at my. Um, I had to train at my, my district club because that was the only people who would allow me to come and come and bowl rather than bowl to the to the, the Vic guys and try and. Yeah. So it was, I don't know, it's, 
it was strange. It was a really strange time and I, I couldn't sort of, there was no consistency about it all and it just made things a little bit um, a little bit difficult. It wasn't bad but that was the, the lot of the sort of the roaming the cricketer, I guess. So you talk about the roaming cricketer. How many teams did you end up playing for? 18. Have you got all the shirts at home? Lots of them. I've got all of them. Got all 18. I always wanted to keep some – I don't know why. I thought I'd, I thought the kids might like them and I don't know why the kids would want them. Why would you want the shirts? So I, I must have – I must have hundreds of shirts because there's one for every year that you play. You know, every final you'll have two or three signed. Um, I loved my cable knit sweaters so yeah. I always kept my cable knit sweaters even though I'd – I'm never going to use them. Um, a couple of times they would give you a tracksuit that was just ridiculous overseas. Like it was so ill-sized or, you know, the, it would just be crap and I keep it for, you know, like my badminton uniform or my tenor, <laughs> table tennis uniform or something like that. Um, yeah, but I must have 200 more shirts, I reckon. The Dutch one's the best. Yeah, so what, what's your fondest memory outside of the World Cup experience, mm. which we'll get to shortly, but of all the crazy places you played, what, what was a, an experience that would you go down as your fondest? I know it's hard. Yeah, I, so I lived for a month uh, in Otago, in Dunedin. Um, this was just before I retired. It was actually the point that I realised that I was done. Uh, it was 2014, November, I reckon, in Otago in New Zealand. I was getting whacked around the park. But I was there for a month. I think I played 23 rounds of golf in the month and I was living with Ryan Tenderscarter. We were having a cracking time. Uh, you know, we, we trained reasonably hard but we played a ton of golf and were loving it. And I, I'm very loath to say golf was the problem but, gee, we had a good time. Uh, and the fellas there were brilliant. I also had a great time. It's more the change room that made things good. Um, Middlesex, was, Middlesex was excellent, 2008. Um Again, just great people. Um, yeah, Highfield Lions was all right as well, South Africa. <laughs> but, yeah, there's, there's a couple in there that were pretty crap. <laughs> <laughs> so the experience of playing for Australia in a World Cup, you did that in the Caribbean, a T20 World Cup. You were the leading wicket taker for the entire tournament and you were part of this amazing bowling attack that was just sheer speed. Mm. What was that like? And, you know, to share with... The, the audience, some of the players you played with and, and what was that that what was that like in the nets and, and in games with, with what you had to, to play with? Yeah, so it was Sean Tate, myself, uh, Brett Lee, Mitch Johnson, Ryan Harris and Dan Christian were there on the sidelines. I think I don't, don't think they played from memory. Um, we couldn't all four play because we couldn't get through the overs in time. Brett Lee rolled his ankle just before the tournament. I think he was he was injured, so he didn't he didn't end up playing. Um, but we played a practice game where we couldn't we just flat out couldn't get through the overs. <laughs> um, and it was the first time. It was actually a, a little bit difficult because it was the first time I actually was in uphill into the wind because um, Sean Tate's faster than me, so he gets downhill with the wind, and I get you know uphill into the wind. So. Uh, I absolutely loved playing with him. It was fantastic. We had a, a, a good relationship um, and we were just, yeah, it was just fun. The, the fastest one I ever bowled was at the MCG. We played a game where he bowled 160 at one end and um, that was my the fastest I ever bowled as well. I was 140, 157 or 156 or something from the other end. Um and you you kind of sit there and think, I wonder if the speedos were out that day. But no, that was a that was a day where everything was just right. You know, the atmosphere was right, the the weather conditions were right, the pitch was nice and hard, everything was right, and we just bowled as fast as we possibly could. It was awesome, and you rarely, very rarely get in that situation. You know, there might be three times in your career that you feel like you're bowling quick. But that was a time where it was just oh, no matter what I did, it was fast, and that was that was great fun. In the West Indies, it was a little bit of a different experience because at the time, I, I, I reckon I was bowling with um, I had a sore back then, so I reckon I had some injuries there. But I didn't sort of get scanned because you don't get 
don't get scammed before the World Cup. They'll, they'll rule you out. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, it was a really cool experience to do um, from a, a personal reward experience, you know, to be the leading wicket taker in the World Cup was fantastic, great. But it wasn't – playing for Australia wasn't a – it wasn't fun. That wasn't one of my fondest, you know, cricketing memories. It was great from a personal accolade experience but in terms of a, a cricketing memory it wasn't wasn't great because I, I enjoy more the, the fun side of things rather than the cricket, pure cricket element. Because it was such a strange situation where you played for the Netherlands and Australia mm. within, within months of each other really. What was that experience like for the Netherlands? I know you only, as you said earlier, played mm. three times but were part of a pretty amazing game as well as part of that whole experience. Was Was that fun or was that different again because it's the Netherlands? That was different because it was almost like I was playing for an amateur side yeah. after I'd played for so many professional teams to that point. Everyone in that team were insurance salesmen, Burger King manager, debt collector, um, car salesman. It was you know, all sorts of people who had normal jobs because they're not professional. A couple of cricketers in there but but not many. Uh so the, the actual experience of playing was was really unusual and the way they went about things, it was the first time I'd kind of gone to a, a setup that wasn't necessarily a professional setup. Uh, you know, we still, because they don't get together all that often, we would do team breakfast, then go for a team walk, then we'll have a team stretch, <laughs> then we'll have a net session, then we'll have a team dinner and team, you know, it's all about the team, whereas every other team you go with, it's just as soon as training finishes, it's everyone's gone. But that it was completely different. Um, from a you know, cricketing perspective, uh, the reason I played, I'd had, oh, it must have been, oh, I'd have to look at the numbers, but I reckon it was three seasons where I was a leading wicket taker in the Big Bash, but didn't make the squad of 30 for Australia for the, for the T20 World Cup. Did that annoy you? Uh, because of my age, it, it didn't surprise me. Did it annoy me? I knew I, I knew I was better than a lot of the people in the list, and I knew because Australia was getting flogged all the time that I was better than a lot of the people who were playing in the Australian team. So yeah, I was I was upset in that regard. But again, I saw the reasoning as being you don't pick someone who's thirty three or thirty four for their first time. So I understood, and and that was still a time where they didn't pick a T twenty team. They picked a one-day team or a test team or it yep. was convenient to keep these guys together. He's already over there. Let's pick him. So you know, when the Dutch say, well, come and play for us, well, of course I'm going to do it because I get to play in a World Cup. How cool is this? Mm. Yeah. So, of course, I did it. And then Australia got flogged again and that's when they finally went, well, maybe we have to look at playing a T20 team. Mm. And so that I've gone from... You know, from from my perspective, I was at best thirty first because I didn't make the squad of thirty. So at best, I was thirty first. And after playing two games for Holland, I was in the eleven straight after that. So that was sort of, I guess, almost in some respects, sort of a vindication for being a, a, that I was a good player. Um, which I, you know, of course, you like to know that you were good enough. And it was kind of them saying, "Yep, yeah, yeah, all right, okay." Reluctantly, yeah, you're good enough. Okay, come and play. Um, but it also, I guess it kind of validated the decision for me to go and play for them as well because yeah. it was almost like a shop window. Yep. You know, here's this guy. Jeez, he's, he does bowl fast. You know, yeah. he's actually okay. Right, let's get him in. I've got two more questions for you. What's it like to bowl fast <laughs> when you've got batsmen worried, you're bowling so quick? I could imagine it to be really fun. But w what's it like? It is really fun. It's uh, it's not something I necessarily feel like I want to scare people. I don't have that aggressive nature in me. Uh, there are some fast bowlers who are genuinely like they want to impose themselves or, or uh, impose that fear into you. That, that wasn't me. Um, I was... I mean, it, it's great when... When I'm on top of the game, because I was so fast, when I bowled a good ball, I knew I could beat any batsman in the world. 
and that was when I thought that I that was finally the kind of moment that I thought I was I was good when I knew that uh, like there would have been a period there in 2009 or 10 where I reckon I was one of the top two or top T20 bowlers in the world. And that was cool because I knew that no matter what happened, you go to the team meeting, let's talk about this bloke, righto. Yeah, uh, big LB chance early, you know, big nicker, get a slip in, you know, get a bowl of bounce and make sure it's high. All that crap, you know, I just turn off because I know that if I bowl the way I want to bowl, no one's hitting me. Um, and that was cool because if you're a 135K bowler, it's not like that. You know, you have to rely on guile and all that sort of stuff. I didn't have to rely on that. I would just bowl fast into the legs. No one's hitting me. Um, until they, the advent of the the lap and stuff like that. But, yeah, that that was cool. Um, it wasn't necessarily the speed. It was the, the speed in combination knowing no one in the world is hitting me and that's – that's really cool. Yeah, I could imagine. Yeah. I could imagine. I could, and I could only dream. Um, the final question, with all the teams you've played for, you mentioned Victoria. So what does it mean playing for Victoria? What does When I say to you, Vic, Cricket Victoria or the VCA or whatever it is, what, what do you think of and what does it mean to you? Because it's been, I wouldn't say it's been checkered, but it's been interesting. Oh, it's a, <laughs> I, I, yeah, that's a really difficult question to answer because it's, it's kind of vexed in a way if you've, on one hand, it was a, a period of my cricketing life that taught me how to play. I owe it a lot because it made me the battle-hardened, um, clever would be overstating it, but but the um, intelligent, I guess, um, bowler that I became, and that was Victoria. Uh, it put that work ethic into me. Um, but I guess coming back to what we've been talking about, it for me it was still a job and it was an employer. So I don't bleed the navy blue or everything like that. That's that's not me and it never has been. Um, and that sometimes put me offside with people. Not not offside. I never argued with people. I guess it just people thought that I didn't care as much as others. Maybe I didn't. I don't know. Um, so I don't sit there and, and I see it as a, a period of my life that I look back really fondly. Um, uh, it, yeah, playing first-class cricket was a, a great experience. Um, but it's not something that I, I sit there and think, you know, I long for those days. I, it was a period of my life, a great period of my life and um, – yeah, it's good to come back and, and reconnect doing sort of things like this, just walking into a first-class game and watching a flat road out the front, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and bowlers having a slog. It makes me remember, geez, I'm glad I'm not doing that crap anymore. <laughs> well, as I said, I was nervous about doing this because I could talk to you for hours and we haven't got hours. But um, it's, it's been great. Yeah, it's been great to reminisce with you. Um, I've loved the time I've spent with you because it's not just about cricket but it's about everything around cricket as much as the cricket that makes you such an interesting person. It's great to have you part of our, our show today and um, good luck with whatever happens next. Thanks for having me. It was good, good fun, good setup. <laughs>